When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Monday, June 21st. We've been gone for a couple weeks. We are back and some recruiting news, some 12-team playoff proposal news. Uh, but let's start with the recruiting news. Neo Afe Tui Alamaka, the linebacker uh, who's been verbally committed in our name for <laughs> quite quite some time. He's he's certainly been leaning in that direction for quite some time. and and. I mean, I think it's just, it was just a matter of an announcement. He visited, of course, and committed. And it's another real quality linebacker who I think has really improved his body here in recent months. Uh, add him to the list of Marcus Freeman catches. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just Freeman is, this was kind of one of those commitments and Josh Burnham a little bit and Tyson Ford a little bit, but I, I feel like this is the commitment that most sort of captures the Marcus Freeman difference and what he's bringing to the table at Notre Dame. Cause this is just not a prospect. I don't think Notre Dame gets otherwise. Um, and it's, you know, you can, we can discuss this later, but you know, the, he's a Notre Dame type of kid that I don't think Notre Dame really was going to get before which I think speaks to the fact mm. that there are more Notre Dame fits or Notre Dame types kids out there than I think sometimes Notre Dame fans uh, realize, but you have to work your ass off to get them. And I think Freeman did with uh, Tui Alamaka. Yeah. And I, I think the Freeman point for me is what we often joke about on this podcast is why not both? He, he's getting both now. Does that, you know what I'm saying? You, you have Burnham and then, you're adding on to it and you might have Sneed a four linebacker hall like that hasn't really happened at Notre Dame in where they've pledged under the Brian Kelly era. I mean, when Anzalone was going to come to Notre Dame in 13, that was probably the best looking quartet they had there for a while. You know, um, I don't expect this one, any of these to go sideways after the fact, but you just looking back through it, they don't, they don't get a quartet like this at linebacker. It's been a very long time because you, you can't, I don't know what the best one is of the, Kelly era, you don't normally get four highly or three extremely highly rated four stars and a blossoming new four star in, in Nolan Ziegler. Um, he's, he's more of a projection of course, than the other guys are. It's just, it's a position where they don't recruit this well. And it's, they, they've had plenty of good players, but Drew White and Jeremiah Usu Koromoa could have been taken by anybody. And they're their two best linebackers right. since Cone. I mean, Tavon Coney was not even as highly sought after as three of these guys. Right. Let, let the record show, just to clarify, Jalen Snead has not verbally, has not publicly. No, verbally committed no I'm saying he, he's the, why not both? Why not keep going? Like, just right, exactly. you know, don't worry about exactly. where you're fitting. And we'll, we'll talk more about him in, in uh, with a question in segment two, but um, yeah, I, Pete, I want to get back to your point that, that I agree. I think that there are a lot of recruits out there that are better Notre Dame fits um, than they give credit for or find. I think they're four-star guys, not five-star guys, uh, you know, just to clarify, because five-star guys 
the fit with Notre Dame and the shortage of them and where they're inclined to go and how many want to go to school in Notre Dame and how many find other reasons to go to other schools, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, I think those are hard to come by. Four-star fits, I agree. And I think Tui Alamaka is a guy that, you know, when I first looked at his film, I thought two-down linebacker. But if you've seen him physically lately, <laughs> he really has streamlined his body. You know, he's just kind of, I mean, he's just approaching adulthood or heading yeah. in the direction of adulthood. And, and, I, and he's probably – He's probably worked out, and it's really impacted the, the look of his body, Tim. I, I don't think of him as a two-down linebacker like Drew White. I think of him as a two-down no. linebacker that, you know, he, you don't want him out there as your nickel coverage linebacker, but he has the ability, which is huge in the modern game, of kind of getting to the quarterback as a linebacker, too. I, and that, no, and that's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. So I don't think two-down linebacker is as much of a, a stigma because I think a lot of guys come out. Of the game I don't now, think I, you know? my <laughs> point is, I don't think he's a two down linebacker anymore. Right. Maybe right. I was in the first yeah. place, but I think, I think some, there are some good two down linebackers still, but I don't think, I think he is versatile. So I think it makes him yeah. ever still yeah. not in the game. same way. I agree. Not in the right. same way that we would say drew white yeah. is. I think a, a good two down linebacker is great because then you're in third and long and you come off. <laughs> well, that's true. No, that's, yeah. that's true. I mean, just for some like historical perspective, I mean, it, let's just, project Jalen Seed into the class that means Notre Dame would have signed 62 linebackers since 2000 or players that were designated as linebackers in 24-7 sports world. Um, Josh Burnham would be number 13 overall. Tui Halamaka would be number 12 overall. And then Jalen Sneed would be number eight over, or sorry, number seven overall. So of that's like of 60 plus linebackers, you'd be signing three that were in the top, top 25% of that group, which is. And, and that's usually an offensive line thing for Notre Dame. That's kind of my point. I was harping off the linebackers. Yeah. I mean, that's an offensive line thing for Notre Dame is you'll find plenty of clusters of, well, like for instance, Fisher and Spindler, but of course they're not the only ones you can find that in offensive line. You should always get it at tight end. Um, it's really hard to do a linebacker and linebacker is, a hugely important position for people that like going 11 and one and 12 and 0. Some other recent recruiting news over the weekend, Tom Loy from 24 seven sports and Steve Wiltfong both have put in a crystal ball for running back Nicholas Singleton. Uh, to me, that has been the guy that I wanted all along. Dalen Hayden's a very good running back. Sawchuck, very good running back. I like Singleton better. And um, I'm interested in your thoughts on him in comparison to those two guys, because I, I, I think that that is the guy, at least for me, that I wanted to see in a Notre Dame uniform. He hasn't committed. It's just a, right, a crystal right. ball. I mean, I think it's it's the guy that Notre Dame tracked down first of those three guys. So in some ways that, you know, whether he's the highest rated by 24-7, he certainly was the highest rated first uh, Notre Dame's own board. Um, he's He's kind of – I don't know. He's got, he's, I watch this game. Like he's kind of got the whole, the whole package, um, you know, and I, to, to beat Penn state for somebody from PA that they really wanted, I think is significant. I mean, that, that was sort of one of the, the markers of, is this a guy that Notre Dame should be excited about or not? It's like, did the in-state school really want him badly or not? Um, and in this case, the answer is yes. And it's, you know, when Penn state is in state school, that's a, a program that's trying to get to the playoffs. And it's hard to poke holes 
in his game. That's kind of what I, it's, he's a natural running back with balance, con, you know, balance after contact, he runs through it. I don't, it's hard to find the early hole in his game. It's, and if it is the early hole is like, well, maybe he is really just four five, eight to four, six. That's, that's not a hole in your game. I mean, we spent a whole year wondering if Kyron Williams could hit a big one and he went 75 <laughs> yards against the best team he played. You know, it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's, it's a hole in your game when you get to, be evaluated for the NFL draft, which is fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and I, I, I admittedly, I, I've, I've been influenced by some of the, the video that I saw a long time ago with Singleton and just his work ethic and how, you know, mm-hmm. what he does and the, his trainer. And, you know, I think sometimes we get all caught up in, you know, this guy's trainer said that. I've never known a guy's trainer to say something negative about, you know, or like a guy's quarterback coach isn't going to ever say anything negative about that. His arm stinks, but he's smart. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But Singleton, I I mean, I've just loved Singleton's game and I think he's dedicated to his craft. Um, I think he had an interest. And again, we're not saying that he's coming to Notre Dame for sure. uh, But I think that he's had an interest in Notre Dame from the very beginning. Uh, As, as, as you said, Pete, I mean, Notre Dame had an interest in him. So it was mutual. I like his game. I mean, I would be for Notre Dame's sake, I would be really excited uh, with him in a Notre Dame uniform. I don't know what the timetable on that is. We'll see. Uh, we'll talk more about Jalen Sneed in segment two. I do want to address a couple things in segment one here before we move on to our questions. The 12-team playoff proposal of which Notre Dame Vice President and Director of Athletics Jack Swarbrick was heavily involved, part of a four-man committee to make the first recommendation. Um as I tried to explain on the message board and then in a story that the reason that Jack Swarbrick is included in that four-man group at the table is that they know that he's going to deal with them in good faith. And he understands that Notre Dame playing one less game when they're not in a conference like they were in 2020 uh, is a significant advantage. And he understood that they had to give something up. What they gave up, at least in this proposal, is a top four seed, which would mean they would have to play the first round of the the playoffs. So that's a lot to give up, but so is, you know, not having to play a conference game every year that undefeated teams have to do that, that would be going to the playoffs otherwise. So just your thoughts guys on that and where it's going to go from here. As a, as a fan of college football, I love the proposal. Um, I think I started looking into this a month and a half ago and doing some sort of retroactive pieces. I'm like, okay, Notre Dame would have made it in this year in this format and missed it in this format. And the 12 teams seemed like kind of wonky at first. Cause it's like, well, don't you have to have 16 or eight or four or two? Like, how can you have 12? Um, and then you start thinking about it in terms of the conferences. I was like, Oh, this actually kind of really makes sense. Um, I love the six highest rated conference champions making it opposed to the, power five, five champions guaranteed to make it. Um, I just sort of like that carrot for maybe two group of five teams to make it. I was a little surprised that Swarbrick conceded the, the extra game um, maybe as quickly as he did, but I understand why he did it. Um, and overall, I thought that for the sport, it was nice to see the people running it sort of look outside of their own tribe for a second. Um, cause I think the sport is, there's not a lot of people that sort of run it or manage it with the best interest of the sport at heart. Um, so I'd like that everyone sort of gave up a little bit on this one. Um, with the exception of the group of five who I think are the, the biggest winners in the whole thing. I think, 
I agree with the last part that it's it was a it's a unique proposal that's refreshing. There's some inclusion that you wouldn't have gotten if it just went to eight. Um, I have always disliked the idea of late December and January completely superseding what I loved as a fan. But Pete said you like it as a fan. I hate it as a fan. I, not as an analyst. I, I understand it as an analyst. I hate it as a fan because I want Notre Dame to always schedule Georgia in September and somebody else in October for the marquee games like that out of conference. And I think the unintended consequences, you, you are not going to always get that now. Um, and if you do, I also didn't mind that that was an elimination game. I know people hate that that's an elimination game on October 6th or September 19th, something along those lines. But I think that's why those games were so fun. <laughs> I, I, 12, 12 teams makes it so there are fewer elimination games. So I, I will always have been against that form of expansion. Um, it is, I agree with Pete in that the way they're, you, knowing expansion is coming, I like how they did it. If that, I, That's kind of where I agree with Pete other than I, I don't agree with it as a football fan. But with, it's kind of like with the transfers. And I think I agreed with Pete right away, Tim, where I would have agreed with you in the past, like the one-time transfer or this is going to be really hard on coaches. It was always coming. So I was like, sure, let them go. <laughs> it was one of those things where if you have to accept the fate, you know, I knew that players were going to be allowed to transfer after a while. And it is going to be really hard and college football free agency has hit us, but I was just kind of like, oh, one-time transfer rule is fine. And that's what I, that's how I feel about this. I know they're not going to go on forever with having four teams playing in a playoff. Um, I don't, I don't find the, I find the playoffs, September, October, November, more compelling than I will find the playoffs is how I look at it. Yeah. And this, the, this proposal is nothing that would go into effect this year or next year, oh, course, be yeah, 2023 yeah. at the earliest. I just want to, clarify that for everybody that's listening. And then Pete, your comment with regard to you were surprised with, with Swarbrick. I, I guess I wasn't shocked because I mean, I think that having had enough, enough conversations with him about a variety of topics. And then I th- also think that he took the temperature of the, the athletic directors and the conference commissioners yeah, and realizes that's... that this just is, it's just not, it's just not workable anymore uh, for them to continue to accept Notre Dame. Look, hey, I grew up. Right. I grew up with Notre Dame having chances to play for national titles and playing in bowl games that they did not deserve, but they were Notre Dame, and that's what got them into these games. Now the pendulum has swung, and I don't think it's quite like that. But I think that he always understood, as I said, the temperature of the ads and conference commissioners, and realized that if Notre Dame wanted to continue to play this game, they they had to give something up, and it, and it's it's something. I mean, pretty significant. Again, none of this is all official. No. It's just the first proposal, but I would imagine the bulk of what was proposed will end up being in order. And I, I think to that point, Tim, um, my argument I would argument is if I had a, if I had a voice in the room, it always would have been like, well, Notre Dame's eleven and one, and they beat the Pac-10 champion, the Big Ten champion, and the SEC champion. They lost to the ACC champion or whoever. So, is that a conference championship game? And the answer obviously is no. It's not. <laughs> we want you to play in another conference championship game. So that kind of goes against. You know, when I said I love having the marquee games during the season, those marquee games were starting not to count for some teams, especially Notre Dame, because they didn't have that conference championship game other than last year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I disagree with you, O'Malley. And like, I don't, I don't think this is going to hurt scheduling in any way because, because – I think it hurts the importance of the game that is being played. Does yeah, I mean, yeah, that does. And we're now – I certainly miss – I will miss, like, the Wake Forest – game from 2012 for Notre Dame where like you go home you're watching Stanford Oregon that's what I mean yeah, yeah. Kansas State. like 
that that moment has been eliminated now or yeah. will be eliminated. So that that is a loss. I don't want to sort of paint this as like this is college football moving forward and like there's nothing to sort of uh I guess memorialize here because like but that's all gone. Like, you know, like we're not going back to that. Um, you know, I, I think the extra game, if Notre Dame's top four, look, you're playing, you're probably playing the group of five champ at home in December. And that immediately goes to the, what are we even doing here? If you can't win that game, um, you know, the scheduling of the first round, if it's in mid December, and then there's two weeks until the quarterfinals, I think that sort of lessens the wear and tear argument that, the, the extra game, like as if you're playing four games in a row in the playoffs. And then if, when you make it to the quarterfinals, if you're Notre Dame, if the quarterfinals had been on campus, which I think would be awesome. Um, like, again, as a college football fan, I would prefer that, but well, yeah. I think everybody Notre does Dame, <laughs> the fact that you would play, then play Oklahoma in Atlanta, or you play Ohio state in uh, Glendale is a lot better than playing Oklahoma and Norman or Ohio state in Columbus. So it's like, I, I sort of described it as like, you know, this is a stand-up triple for Notre Dame. Like, it's not a home run, but Notre Dame's still in in pretty good pretty good shape. I want to make one more point, and then we'll talk about stand-up triples and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, to your point, Tim. Um, you know, before, like a couple of years ago, when Notre Dame lost to Michigan, it's like, okay, second loss, they're they're out of yeah, it now. Yeah. Well, now it's the third loss, right? I mean, generally speaking, for yeah, like I guess Notre I don't. Dame, I, I guess I don't mind when Notre Dame gets absolutely taken to the woodshed at Michigan that someone tells me they're not going to the playoffs well, with the national that, title. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it that's it was not like, a great. That, yeah. But even but even had that, that been a close made loss, it. right? Even had that had been a close loss, they were out of it with the second with the yes. second loss. Yeah, yeah. Which can be more frustrating if that loss. Yeah, I, I guess that Tim, that is a good point because the loss to Georgia was obviously a great game that we still talk about. Let's say the Michigan game was just like that, and they're still out of it. You're like, man, yeah, two, two no, plays and you're undefeated, number the four, number five seed. You know, that's kind of I do, I do get that point. That, that loss would actually be worse now, the Michigan loss, because it's like all you had to do was show up to make it, and you couldn't <laughs> even do that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was trying to figure out how you're gonna make it, it worse, but I think you did. That team would have not made the playoff. And uh, O'Malley, right? And O'Malley, oh. we knew that as soon as I, ma- I made the made it into the stadium from the walk from the parking lot, right? It took, yeah, you guys. It was a Morgan like, there. And, they're in trouble. And then I'm looking down there at the first quarter. I'm like, it was I dark. Like, I don't think anybody's cold. gonna get open. <laughs> I was just looking. I was like, it doesn't seem like anyone could get open, and I don't know how they would. It was all these good players, and looking at them like, Ugh, this isn't looking right, man. Who's that wrap- tall guy wearing number 83? He stinks right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me wrap up with Notre Dame baseball here because there are a lot of questions about keeping Link Jarrett. So the day after they arrived home from Starkville and got off the bus, I asked Link Jarrett <laughs> if he could unequivocally say that he would be the head coach of Notre Dame in 2022. And he said, yes, he absolutely could. I didn't push him beyond that uh, because he will certainly be in high demand. And his point was that I'm not doing my job if I'm not in high demand as, as the head coach of Notre Dame with, Southern schools out there that, you know, right. He didn't, he didn't go into all that detail, but he said, I'm not doing my job properly if I'm not in demand. And that's a, that's a good point, but he is in demand. Uh, we talked about facilities. I put out a couple stories this past week about what they might have to do in order to host a super regional. One would be to consistently be good as opposed to an upstart this past year. And I get that, but certainly, I mean, we saw Nordain play six bait, six postseason games after the ACC tournament and it's quite obvious that they were one of the best eight teams right, right. in the country and it wasn't that 
it wasn't that Notre Dame should have hosted and Mississippi State shouldn't have. It was that there, Florida comes to mind because Florida hosts and they got hammered, hammered both times. And so they certainly didn't, but that's, they didn't deserve it, but that's a little bit of retrospect, but mm-hmm. link Jared will be here. I would encourage people to go on to uh, Jack. Did you post that story this morning? My baseball story this morning, I would encourage people to go read that because really they've got an opportunity. I was talking about a transition, but because of the pandemic, there's some, there's three to four key seniors that could come back. And if they do, now we're talking about basically the same team minus Cavadas, which is a huge minus. Uh, I mean, since he hit 22, 22, yeah. 66 homers <laughs> and he was clutch. And, you know, I'm not diminishing the loss, but um, it's still a team game and they would have a lot coming back. So if you're interested as a Notre Dame baseball fan and or a um, non-Irish Illustrated subscriber, although we'd encourage you to do that, I think you can hop on there and read a little bit of baseball for free. That's segment one coming up, burning up the board segment two. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We call it Burning Up the Boards. We take questions from our readers and listeners. Joshua Poupard asks, how confident are you that the Irish will land Jalen Sneed? And if we do get him, what's that mean for the defense? Pretty confident that they'll get him. Um, just going by the, the crystal balls and all the people that follow these things. But uh, I I mean, it's more versatility for the defense. It's he's the, but hey, we talked about this about six weeks ago or six podcasts ago. That's the guy you want Notre Dame to get. Like before they even got some of these other players, that was the guy, if you're looking at the board, it was like, that's, that's the type of player Notre Dame needs. Um, because they do very well with the developmental guys, obviously, considering there's, there's their place in college football. But a player like that is a difference maker. Steve's a difference maker. And I think that's, that would be huge for the future of the front seven. When you sort of nix the official vision of Sebastian Cheeks, uh, that tells you that Notre Dame has Steve basically locked up. Um, so that, that would be incredibly promising uh, if you're sort of trying to read between the lines here. As far as like what it means to the defense, like, you know, this is, this should be a great, great linebacker hall that is also incredibly necessary when you look back at the previous two classes. I mean, two years ago, they didn't sign a linebacker and last year they signed two. Um, I think Prince Kali has a chance to be very, very good. Yeah. But, um, Kia from Hawaii, like sort of immediately gets recruited over by the, some of these interior guys. Um, so it basically it sort of, I think it gets you to a, gets you to a healthy spot from, kind of a precarious position right now because after this year, Bo Bauer drew white, um, there's going to be a little bit of a clear out at that position. I think COVID 
probably mitigated that a little peak because you could uh, you should be able to convince Bauer or Simon, you know, if Simon keeps playing better and you want him to come back, you should be able to convince Bauer to come back for a year to be a bridge to these guys and Simon to be a bridge. Kaiser has a couple, you know, Kaiser's a five-year guy. He certainly seems like a five-year guy. Um, but then again, to that point, the five-year guys aren't generally the ones that go out and beat Ohio State and Alabama, right? Right. Which, but they do, uh, make, they do make a very good bridge. We asked to beat Ohio State twice. Yeah, they, they do make a very good bridge, these guys, to, to a – you know, obviously you're not going to bring in four linebackers and have two of them start as freshmen, so I think it's perfect. There's a, <laughs> there's a good bridge that did not exist without the COVID rule. Yeah, you know, if Bauer starts this year and has a really good year, he may not be in a position to do that. But to answer the question, I mean, I think – I mean, as far as what it means to the defense, I think Nordheim has – two really outstanding Rover prospects in Prince Collie and, and Jalen Sneed. Now, Prince Collie weighed in something like 225, 226. Did you guys see that or hear about that? I think he's in that range. Now we're talking about maybe he's a Will linebacker uh, and Jalen Sneed's on the outside. I think Collie's a little bit bigger, but, uh, you know, we you have to see them together and have to get actual yeah. – heights and weights but it's some, too, some 225 moves differently than other right no doubt too. yeah no doubt and i'm sure the, I th- i'm sure prince collie's 225 is going to move <laughs> going to move pretty well but I, I you know i mean everything that you said pete i mean as far as the need at linebacker um you know i think again there are some guys that are look like like a jd bertrand is wondering how in the hell i'm going to get yeah. on the field here and he's and he's good i mean he's capable he shows up all the time on the practice field uh, video that we see, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't sold on Sebastian cheeks for whatever that's worth or for the record or whatever. Um, and, and so, but Snead is for me, Snead is, as it goes to ranking players in the class, he moves to number one for me. Yes. I, I mean, especially since when we do our rankings, we're looking at your career your, his potential is, yeah, that's hard to, yeah. Hard to argue against. Uh, this one from SD Irish fan, which redshirt freshman from last year do you see making the biggest impact this season? And I'm going to say the guys, you can cheat a little bit because they would have been more redshirt freshmen last year. If not for the pandemic, they threw a lot of guys out there. Yeah. So what we're looking at guys, eh, you can normally... include, but I think you could include Batello as a redshirt freshman. You know, he played one game from scrimmage, that type of thing. But the true redshirt freshman mine is Ramon Henderson, probably. Uh, he's the, on my list. He's guy, on my list of yeah. four or five. Um, you know, I I always mention the five. And I will again on another question here. The five senior wide receivers could prevent Xavier Watts mm-hmm. from emerging, but I would like to see them get him involved if he's if he's ready to get involved. I agree with Ramon Henderson. Kevin Bauman's a, a possibility among those kind of guys. Aiden K nine uh, actually probably based upon the spring is the guy that flashed the most. Yeah. He just has the best players in front of him. Yeah. True. Yeah. Not much opportunity there. I'll, I'll if you offer Patello, I will take Patello. Um, and I, I say that because I think that by the end of the year, Botello will be Notre Dame's best Viper. Oh, that's a fun one. Maybe, maybe by the beginning of the year. That's I, a good that, one. I think that's a, hell of a statement and I think it's quite possible my concern has always been just size of frame and beating offensive tackles I I haven't seen it with my own eyes and with him in the Notre Dame uniform it's not because he hasn't done it it's because we didn't get to see spring practice in three minutes at a time and I and 
and I'm not saying he didn't flash in the three minutes of video that we got for the, the first 14 practices, but I, I just, and I know it's not because he won't work at it because Batello will work silly, you know, <laughs> tirelessly. Uh, but, but I just want to see that frame up against some offensive tackles and see ultimately how he handles it. But I mean, otherwise I, I tend to agree with you. Um, is there anybody else that we've, would no, make. because there's there's not a lot of room for some. And also, like, the best freshman played last year, more so, more so than usual. You had Clarence Lewis, Michael Mayer, Riley Mills, Chris, <laughs> Chris Tyree. Yeah, but none of them were receivers, Tim, so. <laughs> That's true, they were not. It's, uh, they're the I mean, only guys that matter. Tosh Baker is a candidate. He uh, is, I think, yeah. Tosh Baker, can, yes. three months ago, he'd have been our one of our top choices. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably true. Right now, I think he's a backup. Right. To Josh Luggett right tackle and still has, agree. you know, it's one of those situations where you, he, he, we saw enough of him to critique him yeah. and he, and he lunged a little bit and he's still trying to get stronger. He's six, eight, 300 pounds. I mean, how do you get a six, eight, 300 pound body ready? It takes a while. It's that's totally true. fine for that's true. a offensive lineman to really break out as a third player. <laughs> yeah. Leah Mikenberg was nowhere near the field at this stage yep. of his career, Tosh Baker yep. stage. So it's fine. Exactly. DMB346, has the addition of Caden Madden at guard made you more optimistic about the Nordame offensive ceiling in 2021? You know, I hadn't thought about it in broad terms. It makes me more optimistic about the offensive line, which I guess in turn makes me a little more optimistic about the offensive ceiling, right? Because that's incredibly important, as we have learned. Uh, So the answer would be yes. I just don't know. I would like to all of a sudden say to myself, holy cow, Kevin Austin and Jack Cohn look good. That makes me the most optimistic about the offensive ceiling. I would say, yeah, that it is a minimal moving of the needle in terms of the offensive ceiling. Some things could be better, but I think some things will be better. But that yeah, doesn't I mean, mean like, yeah, yeah. If you said, does Kane Madden's addition addition make you more optimistic about Notre Dame's short yardage run game on third that's down? Exactly. I would say yes. yeah. But I don't that's... think that's what we're talking about when, I, when we say <laughs> no. That. But those are all co- those are all components of it. Yeah, that's exactly sure what I was going to say. Yeah. Do I feel better about Notre Dame's chances on third and short with Kane Madden in the lineup as opposed to a not quite as strong Rocco Spindler, who I still think is going to be a great football player? Yeah, absolutely. Do I feel more optimistic about Notre Dame's inside zone run game? With Caden Madden there, yeah. Do I feel more optimistic about the outside run zone game? Not as much because he hasn't, you know. But he's going to be – we're going to see a Caden Madden – I mean, I'm anticipating after Matt Bayless is done working with him, you know, over the course of three months is going to be – is going to look like a different football player uh, in terms of physical conditioning compared to when he was in Marshall. I kind of want to go back to our conversation on this because we are going to have plenty of chances to critique Kane Madden in August, I hope, and then all season. But adding the second team preseason Walter Camp All-American, even if he doesn't deserve that, is much better than having a fifth-year senior in Dylan Gibbons and a true freshman in Rocco Spindler. Even if he doesn't deserve any of that, it's still a player that is, you know, that's now you've added something. And you know what? We might look at him in the middle of October and be like, yeah, he's not going to be second team All American. That's fine, but it's it's pro- as of now when we're talking in June, it's good to have that guy on the team. He doesn't have to be second team All American. No. He just needs to be a big, strong guy that's in better shape than what he played for Marshall yeah. last year. Yeah. Not Jay Tafel. Who do you think will start at nickel this season? 
Uh, well, I mean, the I, candidates to be, let, I mean, let's start with candidates to be on the field. Yes, because um, the nickel can move. Right. Three, Kyle right. Hamilton can move into nickel. That's right. Not... And the three, the top three corners of Lewis, Bracey, and Hart will probably be on the field. And Hamilton, of course. Now the fifth guy, assuming, presuming, temporarily assuming that Houston Griffith wins that job. So who? Let's say those are they're your five, Tim. Who goes to the technical spot? It, I, this isn't even how it's played anymore because Hamilton moves all over the place. I'm not. Yeah. Who I'm goes not, to the technical slot I, position? You know, I would have said Bracy at one point, but I mean, he's a guy dealing with his own confidence yeah. and playing at that level. Um, you know, maybe Cam Hart because of his length is a possibility. Can he move, I mean, can he move both ways? Is he a two-way go player? I don't, I, I don't, I don't know yet. We don't. I, I, I haven't seen enough to yeah. know that yet or to project. I mean, I think a couple other guys. JoJo Johnson's a guy that when when he signed. There was a lot of talk about him being the ideal nickel and the guy, and we've seen what he looks like physically. He looks really, really good. KJ Wallace KJ is Wallace. another guy, I think, is a is a prime candidate. You know, I mean, would you rather have in nickel? Would you rather have Houston Griffith on the field or KJ Wallace? I, I it's funny. I, well, I think <laughs> I probably think the opposite because uh, Houston Griffith has started at nickel at Notre Dame. <laughs> now he was he was benched, but he started at nickel. I, so. I, yeah. I, I do not like – Houston Griffith will not be playing the nickel position again. We, we've seen that on film at this point in our lives. Um, but I think he'll be on the field in the nickel. They they are higher on Houston Griffith than you and I are, Tim, um, and probably Pete. But they've seen a heck of a lot more yep. of Houston Griffith this year than we have. We're going on what we saw at the end of last year. I, I'm going to keep it simple. It's Tariq Bracey because the spring practice highlights that we watched when they played nickel. It was Tariq Bracey with yeah, the ones. Well, that, yeah. And he's played there, too. He was benched also. But you know what? That goes with – it's like uh, peanut butter and jelly. Notre Dame and freshman Nichols getting benched midseason every time they go out there. I mean, and maybe, you know, maybe maybe that's a position that Bracey can excel at. I mean, it's he, it's it's tough position, but he's in shorter space, you know. I mean, he's got less space to defend. It's a one-on-one, a quick-hitting position, generally speaking, as the being – out in the wide open spaces where he struggled, where, and, where he has, when he has struggled, that's where he's been. And he's probably got a pretty good feel now for, because it's not all one-on-one coverage at nickel. I mean, there's plenty of it, but there's so much passing off in zones nowadays and, and disguising things. He probably has a pretty good feel for it after being a Notre Dame's defense for three years. He's, yeah. he's played a lot of snaps too. Yeah. It's yeah. I remain optimistic. I, you know, I mean, Call me crazy. I do too. I, do too. I, I remain, remain optimistic. optimistic about Tariq Bracey. I, I, I do, do too. I I probably shouldn't, but I mean, oh, you've seen him make plays. You've seen him make good plays before. Yeah, that's that's plays. the thing. So it's I, I here's the deal. I don't want to be. I don't want to be one of those guys that I picked Tariq Bracey coming out of high school, and so you know, come, no, I know hell, that. Yeah. come hell or high water, I'm going to stick by Tariq Bracey. It, it, for me, it's not that. It's I, I, I still think that he can play, and I think he can play well. Well, this is why I kind of trust the coaches of Houston Griffith and Tariq Bracey. If they didn't have faith in Tariq Bracey, remember, they totally benched Tariq Bracey last year, and they easily could have said, go ahead, go wherever you want to go. They asked Tariq Bracey back. He's, he's involved. They wanted Tariq Bracey to be a, a potential starter on the team, just like they wanted Houston Griffith to be a potential starter on the team. I don't mean Bracey was going to the portal. I mean, Bracey easily could have left. He was benched 
and cast aside at corner and nobody wanted to see him out there. I think the combination of Marcus Freeman and, and Mike Mickens, I think you feel I'm pretty sure. good about, you know, getting the best out of him. ND six, one, five. If Notre Dame's recruiting stays as is, do you agree that the 12 team playoff decreases Notre Dame's chances to win a national championship compared to the 14 playoff and certainly the BCS where they were one Kansas state win away from likely winning it all in 2012. Yeah, yeah, sure. Extra game, Um, but it's an extra game that you should win eighty-seven point two percent of the time. I mean, it's like I think it's important for Notre Dame fans to look back. Who, if Notre Dame was the five, who would be the twelve? And it's Boise State, Memphis, Coastal Carolina, Houston. I think Penn State was once, Um, but it's it's the Group of Five champion, so. While you have to play the game, you should win it almost every time. Um, but yeah, the 12-team playoff is harder for Notre Dame to win than the 14-team playoff, which was harder than the two-team playoff. But you know, the easiest of all when somebody would just vote you champion because they're like, oh, Notre Dame, they have a good SID. Like, let's be like them. Um, That's why when I was a kid that growing up, they were always winning that. Yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> If this is much harder. I mean, we've talked about the 14 playoff in the context of like the 88 season. Would have Notre Dame beaten Miami twice in 88? Um, could they have beaten Florida State twice in 93? I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but certainly it would be harder than not having to do that. No, I agree. Well, uh, it's, yeah. it's clearly harder. It's no, it's harder for everybody. It's harder for Alabama. Alabama could get well, Devonte Smith hurt in the quarterfinal. That is, that's that's my <laughs> point. That it, it it is literally harder for everybody, including Alabama and Clemson, yeah. because you have to play extra games and injuries. And I mean, you, I, you, I lose, a, you lose a quarterback in a five versus 12 game and everything changes. You know where it's way easier for Notre Dame to win a national title now when they're the eighth best team in the country. Cause they're in the tournament. Well, that's true. We yeah, keep I saying they're the but, fifth best team in the country because we keep saying that Notre Dame is going 12 and 0 and getting screwed to being the fifth seed. Well, how about if they're the ninth seed? Right. And they have to go play some crap BYU team that happens to be the eighth seed. That's fine. <laughs> then you right. go, you, you're bet you're in the tournament. Like no, that is true. the reason it's easier. It's not. See, going, I think but, about this: the 2015 Notre Dame team were they were they fifth? Pete, you've done this recently. Were they fifth going into the playoffs or were they sixth? Like missing out? They were about sixth. Uh-huh. Or, oh, they lost. They lost to Stanford. So they, they if they had beaten Stanford, they would have been fifth. They dropped enough to seventh. We'll say seven then. Yeah, that team would they have been, been in a tournament. They would have been the eighth seed that year. And you would have had a home playoff game with that team. Now, the injuries, they wouldn't have won it because of the injuries, but you would have loved to be in the playoffs with that team that lost to Clemson by two and to Stanford on a last-second field goal that Priester and I caught. <laughs> it literally, that, that football <laughs> literally <laughs> fell at our feet. I have the, the phone tracking the ball. Underneath the, the goal. <laughs> I, it, I made contact with that. Yeah. Well, it was also over for us faster than everybody else. He kicked like, yep. Game. <laughs> yeah, that year Notre Dame would have been the eighth seed. They would have hosted Florida State in the first round, That's and then they would have faced the winner of oh wait, oh they could no, they would have placed Clemson. It would have been a rematch with Clemson at or in a bowl game. That was you know I would See? I would have watched that monsoon game again. That is that is fun. That's fun. Now I'm, yes. I'm coming around a little bit. That's fun. For all the people that are mad about seed number five when you're twelve and zero, how about when you're ten and two? And and by the way, when are they? When are they? Are they going to get around to asking the players what they think about playing an extra three games? I mean, you want to talk about opt-outs. 
players are going to be opting yeah, out. Yeah, there, there's some stuff even in playoff even playoff games are going to be when you're if you're going to ask a team that plays for a national title to play three extra games. Did you see Pete Thamel? Uh, say he, I think he's putting the story together, but he was tweeting out. He's like, coaches are talking about how many opt outs there's going to be. Oh um, God, yeah. From Absolutely. from non from non non top team, like you know. Yeah, it's just. There's right, no reason to. All right, let's pick up the pace a little bit here. A question from Frick50. Is Kevin Austin the most important player on the Notre Dame team this year? I mean, I guess I brought him up when we talked about the offensive line. So, so maybe a couple questions ago. So he's on the list, right? Yeah. No, I mean, he's, I think because what you do, your indispensables. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put him number one on the list of indispensables. No, because he's been dispensed. But I think we sort of view him as like an all or nothing proposition, right? Like yeah. either he's going to be healthy or he's not going to play at all. And so like the difference that that will make, I mean, we're not looking at Kyle Hamilton in similar terms, even though he's the better player. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think Kevin Austin is, it's a Notre Dame's, he's Notre Dame's best player who is a big question mark at Notre Dame's right. position. Yeah, that's there, the, there, there are the different interpretations of the word important, but I understand how, I understand where Frick 50 is, is coming from there. Sure. Uh, question from Doc Irish. Is Notre Dame done with a portal for 2021? Or are they actively pursuing a cornerback safety or wide receiver? I mean, you, you should be pursuing because um, all those now positions can a, help now, you. I, didn't, I cut the question down. That Part of the question was the deadline being July 1st. Is that accurate? I, I it could be deadline. It could be the new deadline for 2021 now that they're back on a regular, right. regular right. world. So I yeah, would believe I mean, that. Gotta, yeah. 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 You, gotta, you gotta know who's going to be on your team by yeah. July 1st, don't you? I mean, um, I think actively pursuing is different than probably downshifting to keeping an eye open or to the, are you sure we don't want to make a pass here because yeah. so-and-so looked terrible in our summer workouts and we really need a little bit of help right, right here. Like but, I, don't, I, I really don't think that they're probably pursuing a receiver at this point because no. I keep, again, I go back, You've got five senior receivers. I mean, imagine inserting another senior into the room. Yeah. Not that, I mean, not Austin's you, basically your transfer portal guy that's on the yeah, team. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Um, you know, and and again, it's who you, Brian Kelly said, he had no worries about Houston Griffith and DJ Brown handling another safety spot. Yeah. You and I, again, don't see that or we haven't seen it. But if that's the case, then – now, cornerback, that, that obviously they wanted a Caleb Evans. That was a that was a tough loss because I really thought he could help them. He had connections with Missouri. I mean, imagine yeah, being yeah. a – can you imagine, Tim, growing up in South Bend and aspiring to and attending and graduating from Notre Dame? As a football and, player? As a – yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and you you choose Missouri over, over Notre Dame. No, I know. I know. Missouri's a great journalism school, but right, 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 right. Man, That's... at this stage of his career, um, an interesting decision, but more power to him. ND by 10. Does Marcus Freeman's early recruiting success change your perspective of what's possible in Notre Dame? If his recruiting abilities were applied to both sides of the ball, would it be enough to push Notre Dame over the top? Uh, by the way, Pete Sampson has left us. He had, uh, he works for somebody else. He had other stuff to do. Uh, does Mark, um, I, the only way he can apply to both sides of the ball is if he's the head coach. And I know that that's what a lot of people want already before he's ever actually coached a snap for the university of Notre Dame. But um, has it changed the perspective on what's possible in Notre Dame? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, and I admit that I admit that I, you know, 
a lot of things that I've said through the years where I said there's a cap on how good Notre Dame can be. And I still believe that to a large extent as it relates to, to getting five-star players. But um, Marcus Freeman's really, really good at this. He opens up. He creates opportunities with kids. Yeah. And he's a difference maker. I tell you, how's this? Marcus Freeman's abilities on the defensive side continue for the next couple of years. Um, and Notre Dame's traditional recruiting of offensive linemen and tight ends continues along the lines they always have. And then those abilities of Marcus Freeman go on the other side of the ball and they get the next Trevor Lawrence. Then all of a sudden, that's what I've been saying for a long time. I, I really believe that Notre Dame will have enough good player development and players that if you are just superior at quarterback, instead of saying like, man, Ian Book carved out a good career for himself. And holy cow, Deshaun Kaiser is better than I thought he would be. If you just have that guy, if Tyler Buckner could be that guy or yeah, Phil Dracovic I mean, was it, that guy, it's different. It is different. In, in the short term, it needs to be Tyler Buckner. Not not right. short term as in this year per se. Next guy. The next guy would but be the ne- yeah, Tyler Buckner. The, and, but, and that could well, it could be for and some he's, reason. Well, and he's with um, Tyler Buckner's with this defensive side of the ball for three years, at least that's being recruited in, you know, that's, right. that's a right, good thing. Right, so right, if, if he's right. that good, then they have a shot. He will, but he would, he will benefit from what Marcus Freeman's doing yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. Next from Greg Fleming. Do you think Marcus Freeman's experience as a top level recruit helps him as a recruiter? I like this question, not to make the comparison to Clark Lee, but he just seems to have the formula and he's the only coach on staff who was an upper echelon guy. I know it, it's an interesting question, yeah, Greg, and I, I don't, you know, I don't have any perspective to answer it. Uh, he was a quality football player. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's just Marcus Freeman being Marcus Freeman. He's got an incredible personality. He's got an, an, an engaging ability to him, and he he can connect with. Yeah, he, look, he connected. Think about the the Zoom we had with him, right. the first Zoom that we had with him. I mean, he connects with the media, he connects with fans, he connects with players and coaches, parents, et cetera, et cetera. And Clark Lee connects in a different way. Um, I could see Marcus Freeman connecting quicker with 17 year olds and 18 year olds. Whereas Clark Lee connects with 18 year olds and 19 year olds. Once he has them under his guidance, because everybody loves Clark Lee and he connects with everybody as well. Uh, I do like the point though, that, so he was a highly touted recruit. He played at Ohio state was drafted in the NFL. Um, was has recruited a, by Notre Dame. Would have recruited, Notre Dame had it not a, been Ohio state. Right. was, then had his a very good resume already for Cincinnati, and now he is at the team that is trying to dethrone the three best teams out there. It's kind of a it's it's a good situation for him to be yeah. in to be recruiting defensive players right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And he's good at it. <laughs> yeah. Fight fight an Irish eight. Who will be the most impactful player on defense in twenty twenty one besides Kyle Hamilton? That is a really good question because I just love the hole so much. I rarely go beyond Kyle Hamilton in terms of a standout. Like last year was obvious, the two. We knew the two. We're doing our countdown. We knew the two, right? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. yeah it was not, and even the pre, pre, before that, it was Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquara. Julian Aquara was number one in our countdown or number two in our countdown. It was pretty obvious. Uh, I can't use the collective, so I can't <laughs> say the defensive interior. Um, I'll go with. One player, I'll go with MTA. MTA would be on my well, I, all three guys on my list are the defensive ends and <laughs> Foskey and Batello and, and MTA. I kind of I know that Jason Adamiola is ready to break loose, yeah. but I love yeah, but I love Riley Mills. I, I really 
I think if Riley Mills played 65 snaps a game, I think we would see a pretty dominant defensive tackle. But this is, this is why it's a hard question because last year was obvious. The previous seasons were obvious. They are, you say, you say Jason Adamiola, Adamiola, sorry. Then Riley Mills is the same position. And I right. say MTA, but Justin Adamiola is going to take 30 of his snaps, you know, and you bring two Vipers up. They're splitting snaps. Right. It is. It's kind of the Kyle Hamilton show. I, we always overlook Drew White a bit, um, but Drew White's not going to have all of his snaps either. He lost snaps from his his junior year. He was two hundred snaps less. It's just uh, it's hard to find the number two because there's a lot of candidates for that role. Um, I think there were. I think an opinion out of Notre Dame's camp. I think Cam Hart would be a name that would be suggested if they were asked this question. Really, some would. I do. Yeah. Yep. Wow, that's a promising. If, and and if that is true, if that's true now, we're, if that's true now, we're looking at a a a, di- a different equation on the defensive side of the ball. And holy cow, Pete Sampson is back. Yes, Pete. Pete, I, I, most impactful defender other than Kyle Hamilton. It's hard to pick one guy. Like last year was pretty simple to pick number two. You know, yeah, Cormo yeah. or Hamilton. Um, I, you know, I probably would have been more on board with the Cam Hart until they they pursued a Caleb Evans so seriously not that they shouldn't have but um because I I know the staff really likes Cam Hart privately like a lot more than they've said publicly which they've said some good things so I yeah I don't think a Caleb Evans is a reflection on Cam Hart I think it's a reflection on Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey Well, I mean, they were play, They were both boundary corners. So. Yeah, but I, I, I understand. But yeah. Freeman emphasized against tempo. We don't have time to be changing sides of the field. You just got, got you're going to have to line up left and right at mm-hmm. times. Yeah, I, I mean, Riley Mills, I think, is kind of a breakout player for me. Jordan Batello is a breakout player. For me. I'll just stick with Jordan Batello since he was the answer to an earlier question for me. It's just I. Yeah, now you can elaborate on why you don't like Isaiah Foskey anymore, Pete. Yeah. Could you uh, go ahead? And... <laughs> Let's get that out there. It was how Brian Kelly answered my question in spring practice about Isaiah Foskey. And I was like, how is he coming along as far as like a one-on-one pass rusher? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, he's got some ground to cover still. And I, I just, I would not be shocked if while covering that ground, Jordan Mattella caught him. It's not similar to when he told us that uh, senior Andrew Hendricks was starting to understand down and distance and you realize Reese might be the starter. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't think, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't see Isaiah Foskey or Jordan Botello make much headway against Blake Fisher during the spring. Yeah, that's so, true. Good I'm, point. Not, I'm not sure it's fair to judge either one of them based upon, based upon that matchup. Question from JC Vinson. I predicted in early May that Dell Alexander would be gone after the year and we would end up wondering what took so long, a la Brian Van Gorder. Now there are transfers at, at receiver. What is happening in the wide receiver room? What do sources say about Alexander's coaching? Anything from the parents? I don't know about you. I'm not inclined to share what yeah. what parents are saying about an assistant coach, but have at it. I mean, the, the transfers are – Again, Jordan Johnson, who we've talked about a lot, and I don't think they had any, really anything to do with Dell Alexander. Um, Jay Transfer. Brunel, who was not a factor at all to play. Um, so I think that's worth keeping in mind, too. Like, to me, the the issue with roster management is the fact that a year from now, it's going to be Xavier Watts as the lone junior slash sophomore or junior slash senior. 
um, that there's like this real dip in how the roster and that room has been put together. But I look, we hear a lot about players and parents complaining about coaches. I have not heard that about Dell Alexander. Um, so, you know, you can take that for as you want it, but you know, whether Chris Fink, Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, I mean, oh, I think those- they all had a good relationship with Dell Alexander and appreciated how they developed under him. Tim? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a, there's a development issue. Like 2017 was a bad recruiting class and you can't blame that on Dell Alexander. Obviously the Michael Young and Jafar Armstrong as your wide receivers. That has nothing to do with Dell Alexander's recruiting or development. Really? I mean, Michael Young, I suppose Michael Young just wasn't as good as Chris Pink. Don't people hate it when I say stuff like that? <laughs> but Michael Young wasn't as good as Chris Fink, and he transferred out after he dropped the ball when he was running in the open field. I mean, this is – that was maybe he didn't develop well, but maybe he's not a great Notre Dame wide receiver. The 18 class, I'm sure people were doing flips for Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Lawrence Keyes when it happened, right? I know Micah Jones wasn't that highly thought of by many. Um and I'm missing someone. Uh, Joe Wilkins was kind of a, an add-on athlete at the end, but I, I think people liked Austin Lindsay Keys. They just oh, yeah. haven't. They just haven't developed to the where they they have not developed to where they should entering 2021. Now they may be the three number one. They may be the three best receivers on the team in 2021. They, they very well could be. They very well could be. Yeah, the 19 the 19 is really weak after getting just Cam Hart, who's a better corner, after playing the playoffs is a strange is a strange haul. Yeah, yeah. I agree that Jordan, Jordan Johnson leaving and Jay Brunel leaving really doesn't have anything to do with Dell Alexander that I'm aware of. No, no. Um, And then Chase Claypool, I know he's extremely talented, but he wasn't a given developmentally because of the other issues that he dealt with. And he became a great player and became a second round draft pick and miles Boykin, Probably Miles Miles Boykin did not ever fully reach his potential while playing for Notre Dame, but he took a huge step forward, Mm -hmm. which got him, which had him picked in the third round. And then Chris Fink, I again, as you're saying, Tim, I mean, he was productive. I'm sorry that that's not the guy that that most people wanted to to develop, but he did, and he produced, and he was a good part. He was productive. Yeah, huh? Javon, McKin- Javon McKinley ended up being productive. Javon McKinley was was productive here as like a strike against Alexander. When I don't yeah. think that that is the case. You can't put time. Somebody on the outside with no knowledge of what's happening on the inside can put a timetable as to when a player should develop and put it solely on the receiver coach. It, we're like again, we're 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 taking we're creating fantasy football scenarios and applying them to real college football. And I, and I just, I I think sometimes the criticism is way over the top criticism. To be fair, if these seniors do not develop this year and you're looking at Avery Davis, two tight ends and throwing to Tyree and Will and Kyron the whole time, I agree. That's an issue. No, I I, I agree, but let's let this year play out with five seniors at the head of the class and, and, and to put, I mean, to put stipulations on an assistant coach about a, a guy that's a freshman that's not ready to play, if they're ready to play, they'll play. If receivers aren't ready to play, they're probably not going to. And I'm not – I don't know how a receiver co- – I don't even want to get into that. I, I Look, Dell Alexander, they, they they can upgrade at that position. 
I, I totally get that. Uh, but we reach a point where there's just a, we, we spend month after month after month criticizing someone and something. There's some chinks in the armor of that art of that argument many times. And it's Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, Chris Fink, and Javon McKinley. That's just oh, I mean, comparing to BBG. I mean, that's ridiculous. Full stop. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, exactly. 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 I I understand. I understand the question and I, and I don't disagree that they could upgrade there, but I think that we, as a, uh, as a publication, as a website, it's, it's gone, it's gone way beyond the reality of the situation. And your, Tim, your point is very important that no one's going to listen to because it's the summer. Well, they're not, they're Austin, gonna, Keys, they're and, Austin Keys gonna... and Lindsay are seen. Austin Keys and Lindsay are seniors. If Austin Keys, Lindsay, and Davis are the four best receivers, and one of them is awesome, like Miles Boykin was, and one of them is really good at times, like Javon McKinley was, and one of them is an outstanding late bloomer. You know, I don't think the conversation is going to be the same going this offseason now. Still got to yeah, keep recruiting. So. Still got to recruiting more. Good, but I like the I like the three I like the three he brought in. For 2021 as well. And again, because of the pandemic, there may be a two-year guy still left in that group. Yeah. Or, Memphis, or go ahead. Memphis Parkway or Mem Parkway. I saw that Notre Dame picked up a grad transfer pitcher from Seton Hall. What other pieces do the Irish need to continue to be at that level they were this year? Uh, in fairness, <clears throat> Matt Freeman from Irish Sports Daily. Um, this was uh, this was a guy that Link Jarrett alluded to, and then when I pressed him to say it publicly, he didn't want to do it. Uh, and Matt Freeman tweeted out that Ryan McClinsky is a right-handed pitcher grad transfer coming from Seton Hall. Um, so that's, that, that's helpful. Uh, what they need, again, I would encourage you to go to Irish Illustrated today uh, talking about what the 2022 team will look like. And we don't have a full picture of that, but they need more power. They need, they need more left-handed power. Link Jarrett points out that during the spring, you get a lot of airflow from left to right. And so that plays well for, with left-handed hitters, more power pitchers, uh, more of everything. <laughs> most of their, now, I mean, most of their everyday lineup is going to be back, especially with, with seniors using the extra year, but power pitchers uh, and power in general at the plate generally is what everybody wants and needs. Final question from ACC TG Teach. This one's for Priester. Since many Notre Dame fans seem to think Marcus Freeman and Link Jarrett will be gone soon, are you worried Samson and O'Malley's recent coaching success in flag football and softball will leave you without any podcast co-hosts in the future? Yeah, they're well. They're I hear they're on the radar, and uh, boy, those two state championship games don't carry much weight anymore. But no. hey, <laughs> but hey, uh, you I I mean all reports. The South Bend Tribune covered no, it a no stoops. Bit. Sorry, Bob Stoops. That was a long time ago. Yep. <laughs> what? What? We've been away for two weeks. What is the latest? I think you were, I think you were celebrating a big victory, Samson, uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, yeah, the season finale uh, where I took my eight-year-old son as receiver and developed him into being able to catch a game-winning touchdown. Um, yes, it was. It was. It was quite a moment where we upset the previously undefeated Broncos. Oh my goodness! Um, nice. To finish two and four. So, <laughs> that's good. That's nice. You go to, it's kind of like. Not sure that's going to move me up the ladder, but man, it was an awesome way to close up. The did season. they, boy, there's nothing better when your child succeeds. Believe me, it's yeah. awesome. Is that, I mean, did they carry him off the field or what? 
No, well, no, it was uh, it was game it was game winning in the sense of like that was the third touchdown. Oh, okay, I got you. Yes. So the the player that should have been carried off carried off the field again, uh, Genesis, our running back, <laughs> who finished the year with thirteen touchdowns um, <laughs> on a team that scored maybe nineteen or twenty. Um, it was just unbelievable. So I was going to ask you: Is this is it a two game streak to end the year? Like, is this similar to like '07, where Notre Dame beats Duke and Stanford, or is it a little bit like Kelly's first year, where you go on a little run there, win four? Your you know your your November I, was so strong. It is was it closer uh, to that. I would compare the how everything came together in unexpectedly in this moment to the Hawaii Bowl. There where, you go. <laughs> oh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Team, I can't wait to coach them again. Uh, uh, Tim, you, you've been you've been hoarding talent with that team that you're coaching. Yes, we have the no, it's, uh, <laughs> the uh, the rec season is coming to a close, so our tournament is next week. Um, that will be uh, that's going to be always that's always fun when you get to break it to people that all the fun we had of those first ten games where anybody got to play any position they wanted. The fun comes, is to, over, comes to an abrupt halt, and I tell you where to go for the next three games. So uh, we'll see if that approach works again. All right, we appreciate everybody joining us. We are going to take another uh, two week break. I got to start. We got to start looking at calendars because July is when uh, things pick up for me, vacation wise. So, well, I but what's What's two weeks from today? Is should have checked this before we. It's uh, July fourth observed. Uh, oh, July Fourth is really observed on Monday the fifth because it's uh, on the Sunday the fourth. Okay, well then we're probably looking at a probably looking at a t- Tuesday, uh, July sixth, yeah. July sixth, somewhere around there. But we'll we'll uh, we'll let you know on our website. Perfect anniversary gift for Dino there. Uh, podcast report. There you go. <laughs> there you go. As a guest. I, I somehow I feel I think it's going to be a two man booth that day. <laughs> hey, we appreciate we appreciate everybody joining us. Uh, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you. We'll talk with you in a couple of weeks. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Mm-hmm.